Today I'd like to welcome to the show Joel Duick. Joel is an award-winning composer and instrumentalist who has scored over 80 documentaries, including the multi-Emmy-winning BBC series First Life with Sir David Attenborough. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Happy to be here. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, so our our connection uh, is through Susanna Raven, who I just interviewed uh, a couple of weeks ago. I play in the Tribe of Love band, and you are one of the producers of that. The last well, album, yes? Yeah, I, I've been mastering... Um, uh, the music for I think since really since the beginning, and uh, I'm a uh, a fan, a huge fan, and I really just love you know where it's coming from, the sound of it. The it, I find it you know just very very original, and it's got a lot of you know depth and spirituality that I I, I just think there's a place for that. Um, so yeah, I get involved in the way I can remotely because I'm based in LA, uh, usually by mastering. And then when I can, I show up at a gig and play a bongo or something like that. I'm always happy to. <laughs> Our mutual loves for music and how as human animals, uh, we are able to listen to our environments and get information. The primordial ability for just survival, like if the deer having a drink at the pool doesn't turn her head when the stick snaps behind her, that could be the end of her life. Mm, so absolutely. yeah, this need for uh, vigilance and also the interplay to be able to interact with someone else, receive, you know, subtle cues from them and their body language and their, uh, their facial expressions, their emotional tone is, is what makes a, a human, you know, present and in the game. And I think uh, a, a more desirable, satisfying presence to be around. Um, in in your article on music and emotion, there's a section where you're speaking about the brain of the listener. Uh, can you connect that to you know our our ability to be creators and and receive. Uh, glimmers of good ideas um yeah i mean if, if you like i wanted to preface it by saying you know some of my fascination has has revolved around um kind of a discussion or an understanding of the various roles that our senses play and uh sound and music um is often treated kind of as a an afterthought and it, it's treated as an afterthought i think largely because it it happens sub, subconsciously in the brain uh, it's the way our brains are wired you know unlike a uh, vision that is very much something that you know, goes into your visual cortex and associated cortexes cortices and then you know we we are very much consciously aware of what we're seeing with sound and music it all happens at this very deep level in the brain and these areas of the brain uh, on which it, which it impinges um, are very old parts of the brain um, and we're really connecting to our emotional centers 
And if you think about it from the biological point of view, that makes sense because sound is our primary uh, survival sense. Uh, and it is because it's 360, as you, you mentioned, you know, with a deer, you don't actually have to turn your head. You can hear something, you can respond to something um, from wherever it is in the 360. And that is an extremely powerful and useful survival tool. Um, and in order for that to be effective, it needs to be almost a reflexive response that we have, something that, you know, it doesn't have time to journey through to our conscious brain and, and, and make us remark on something consciously. This all happens really like a reflex, yes. um, spontaneously. And in fact, when you measure it, we find that um, human responses to sound is quicker than any other sense. Um, and, and so the fact that it's connected to our emotional brains is probably on an evolutionary basis so that we have uh, a powerful response. And the most powerful responses we can have are ones that are driven by emotions. Something is out to kill me. You know, that's, that's a very, very powerful force um, for you to pay attention to and to take evasive action. But at the same time, the fact that it is connected to our emotional centers means that we, we understand, we hear sound, we have the potential to hear it through this lens of emotionality. And, and that's what, um, together with our uh, human capacity for abstraction that's happened in, through our evolution, has resulted in music being this extremely kind of rich emotional experience um, through which we can start to tell um, uh, stories at a, at a level that exists kind of between the lines and levels of subtlety um, and, um, and depth that really no other sense can do. And, you know, and it's, it's kind of chicken or egg to, to say, well, which came first? You know, was it, you know, was it just a survival tool and then it became music and, and all this wonderful, you know, um, potential for enjoyment and, and stirring uh, of, of emotions? Um, you know, or did it come the other way around or did it all happen together? So it, it, it's hard to know, but um, there are some kind of theories on that. Um, so that's kind of where my fascination began is, is, is in this place of, wow, this is kind of amazing that something that is, you know, a useful survival sense journeys on to becoming something that is 100% a part of human life, that enriches it, that broadens it, and that allows us to communicate backwards and forwards in these, you know, what we call you know musical terms but you know they're basically functions of mathematics frequencies and subfrequencies and divisions of frequencies and harmonies and all of this just becomes something that is um an incredible palette for us to be able to uh communicate um an incredible variety of things um w one of the conclusions that i, I came to is that you know when i was trying to understand well you know what exactly is music you know in this form it, it's uh yeah it's a communication system um but what does it communicate it communicates so many different things it can communicate 
a sense of emotion, as we said, but it can also communicate a sense of geography because of the associations of particular instruments and particular sounds and musical forms. We can very, very quickly dictate to someone, right now you're in India, or right now you're in um, Ireland, or right now you're in Aboriginal Australia. And it can communicate time. We can say, right now you're in Baroque France, or you're in the future, um, or you're in the early cave days, or in some deep shamanic world in the jungle. And all of this is communicated in an instant, in a, in a fraction of a second. And so I started to see music a little bit as a, a transportation system. And it does, it transports us super fast into um, position in, in geography and in a position in time and a position uh, in an emotional level. And then it has this extra feature, which is the one that is maybe the, mo the most um the one that defies explanation um which is it, it seems to have this ability through um its its subtlety um in the way it conveys emotions it seems to have this ability to transport us even to a beyond you know a sense of awe a sense of uh something that is beyond our own human capacity for, for understanding the world and the universe. And, and it's incredibly accessible to everybody. You know, it's there, anybody can learn it and anybody can appreciate, um, you know, exactly what the music is doing. One final quick thing, which I, I also think is important for, for your listeners to know, um, because this is absolutely fascinating, is that if you take somebody who is either listening to music or playing music, let's say on a tiny little keyboard, and um, you look at their brains while this is happening inside a functional MRI machine, what you notice is that more of their brains lights up than in any other human activity. It lights up like a Christmas tree. So the act of listening to music and the act of playing music, they're almost indistinguishable, um, which is fascinating in of itself. Wow. But then it, it's, it's something that is engaging so much of our brains uh, in every second that we listen to music um, that it, it, it's really, it's quite remarkable. And it's from there that people start to form these ideas of, um, you know, that music can actually help you um, develop your brain as a small kid um it can help rewire your brain after a catastrophic injuries like a stroke um, it can help find redundancies in, in neuronal pathways and and rebuild itself um, because music is engaging so much of the brain so much of the time yeah i remember you know, and, and, i'm sorry go ahead no no that's good i i you, you sparked a memory of uh seeing um a film crew come into an uh, uh, an assisted care living facility, and some of the some of the residents there who were particularly just gone. They they looked just not present in any other way than physical. The stimulus of hearing music from their you know teens, from their twenties, when it was played in the room, you could see. 
like the the neural fire come back. You could see the light come into their eyes. Yeah. You could see their bodies start to dance in their chair. And then they it's like they came out of a dream. It was incredible. Just from hearing a song from their yeah. time. Yeah, when they were in their prime, the most alive. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah, and yet it's often the kind of the unsung hero. Of course everybody listens to music and everybody has an interest in it. But so much of the time we find we don't actually think about it consciously. And that's okay. You know, um I always uh tell my you know, various students or people that I mentor who work in sound and who work in music, you know, just uh, you have to make your peace with it. You have to make your peace with the fact that people are never thinking actively about sound because it's always this con unconscious experience. And so, you know, that has real implications, for example, when you're working on films or, or, or multimedia projects, that the sound tends to be forgotten until the last minute. And, they, and, and, and then someone remembers, oh, yeah, what are we doing for sound? What are we doing for music? Yes. Do we have any budget? Do we have any budget left <laughs> after everything? <laughs> and this is very common. So, you know, part of I think one's role, our roles as, as composers and sound people, is is not just to kind of do our job, you know, in terms of creativity and writing the music or creating the sound, but it's also to be what to be what we're doing right now, which is kind of becoming evangelists for the importance of sound, the importance of music, and the importance of thinking about it at the earliest stages of whatever kind of project you're doing. Um, because it could make or break, you know, a, a, it could make or break any project that, you know, that, that potentially is going to use sound or music alongside visuals and other stimuli. Yes, it's, uh, I, I've been a, a teacher of, of yoga and Buddhism for about 20 years, and one of the great mm. reliefs I have uh, is being a musician for a longer period of time and not having to blah blah about a concept but having the power through the music to give an experience and that everyone in the room can can feel that wave can experience that song in their own way yeah it, that to me is one of the the primary powers of the musical language yeah you Absolutely. Could, you could have musicians from warring countries, and if they all got in a room and played, they would all be on the same wavelength instantly. I don't really know any other medium that, that has that power. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, arguably, you know, maybe some aspects of physical activity or sports could do that. You know, it makes me think of the famous story of. Uh, Christmas Day in World War One, where there was a you know a, a light respite from the constant barrage of uh, artillery, um, and where the Germans and the British came out of their respective trenches on either side of no man's land and had a game of soccer, you know, and got along fine and, and laughed and as they played and then got back in their trenches and then started shooting at, at each other again. But music, you're right; it's it's always this this great equalizer. Um, and uh, a question I often ask myself and I ask people and I'll, I'll kind of put it out there I'm not going to answer it um, I have my opinions what I think but, but the question I ask is can music do harm so I'm not talking about lyrics 
which could be offensive and yes they can do harm and i'm not talking about music that's turned up so loud that it's going to damage your eardrums but um outside of those two let's say extremes can music itself do any harm can it annoy yes it can annoy you know if you're not into that particular kind of music um but can it actually do harm can it hurt a person you know it's in some deep and fundamental way mm. I think it's, of it's something to think about. <laughs> I, I think of what Bob Marley said. He said, "You know, when music hits you, you feel no pain." Yeah, that's right. And that's right. I believe that generalities never apply to specifics. I like to listen to metal, and when I'm in the yeah. when I just moved up to the country, so I I listen to it less. I think it's I've come to see it as a kind of something I love, but also kind of an armor that yeah. go, goes with the energy of New York City. Yeah. Now, if I had my mother in the car with me in New York City listening to metal, she's probably going to be in some kind of emotion, emotional, energetic pain. I, I wouldn't choose to put that music on when she was in the car because I know it would make her uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I know that, you know, for certain kind of psyops operations in foreign countries, they would blast metal over, over villages. Because yeah. you know it's it's a it's a very aggressive sound. Um, mm. So I think with all things having their their potential side, there is the possibility of of creating pain and an energetic or an emotional level in someone through any any song. Like if it was a wedding song of someone whose partner had died, you would touch yeah. a nerve. Yeah, and. Uh, there's also the possibility of you know these these moments of pain opening us to greater sensitivity vulnerability lost memories for sure and uh how that person processes that i mean we're almost getting into the realm of you know shamanic healing with vibration at that point to help uncover and recover energy and uh, lost parts of our psyche that's right you know what that speaks to also is is the ways that we can use music and i think everyone has this experience that um you can use me you can put music on to reflect how you are already feeling so if you're feeling a bit kind of broody and angsty or whatever you can put some music on that 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 partners and that mirrors that emotion and it makes you feel less you know less isolated you know um or you can use music to drive an emotion that you want to have. So, you know, I want to feel motivated. I want to feel happier. For sure. And I can put on music that is going to, it's going to conduct, um, you know, my emotions from one state to another. And I definitely use, you know, music very consciously, in my case, in both ways, you know, that, um, and I think if people, everyone that goes to the gym, again, they're going to use music for, uh, it's motivational, uh, you know, quality, but also it, it's it's using another quirk of um, of the musical experience, which is that it has a temporal effect. It changes one's perception of time, uh, and this is something that's been studied quite extensively, and is why you're usually finding yourself on hold listening to some kind of music, is because it, it appreciably changes the perception of how much time that has passed and you know so we're using it in in that way as well of actually changing our perception of time 
you can't say that about a lot of different senses yeah in film it's striking if you see a film that has no music yeah it, it the naturalism of that the uh, exposure of that the uh, increased uh, sense of spaciousness and, and suspense. I'm thinking of um, No Country for Old Men. That's right, yeah. You're just laid bare. There's no nothing to hide behind or nothing to tell you how to feel about this. Yeah, it's it's just horrifically impersonal. And, and so devoid of music means devoid of emotion, which is really what, in the case of that film, you want, you want to feel. You want to feel, you know, this... this sociopath psychopath that, that is ultimately incapable of any kind of empathetic emotion and and the lack of music you know really achieves that i thought that was a very bold move by the cohen brothers um you know to be able to actually do a movie that you know that is able to carry carry itself without the music and, and have that fact really reinforce the fundamental lack of emotion in the main protagonist um you know, and in contrast, every other movie, pretty much every other movie, uses music, you know, in, in to its full capacity to to tell people, you know, what's what's really happening. You know, we, we like to say in in the film music world that you know the the script and the acting it tells you what people are doing, um, and to some extent thinking, but it's the music that tells you what they are feeling. And it tells the audience whose perspective you're feeling it from. Um, so, you know, I feel very lucky, you know, to, to you know, have had a career um, exploring this, you know, in, in real terms as a composer, because it's 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 not just about writing music for music's sake. It's about helping to tell uh, these kind of undercurrent stories, these subtleties. And so it's a kind of almost a psychological feat as much as it, as it is a compositional one. Um, and, and it definitely led me to this point of kind of extreme curiosity about how this all works and, um, and, and you know, which is why I've been writing about and thinking about uh, music at the same time as, um, as actually being a composer. Yes, yeah, so I was moved by the banner on your website it says music is what feelings sound like yes and uh, it is that fine line between you know dictating what the audience should feel which we don't want to do and, mm. at, and at the same time framing a scene so that there is a yeah. definite vibe happening that, that sets up the narrative from where it's yeah. been to where it's heading yeah, yeah, and you know, you can overtly manipulate people uh, with music, you know, and, and uh, it's done very often. You know, I used to do a lot of those kinds of Discovery Channel, National Geographic, uh, Shark Week. I did a, a bunch of those. You know, in those cases, you know, you're told at the beginning, like, we don't need to be subtle here. We're just going to ram it down people's throats. Yeah. You know? uh, we're going to tell them exactly how we want them to be feeling. Um, and at the other end of the spectrum, not as going as far as um, having no music at all and no country for old men, but um, but you know somewhere before that, and and that's where I've done a lot of my 
composing work, which is in documentary. Um, what I like to say is that music, you know, we're, we're being very, very careful not to push somebody's emotion in, too forcefully in one direction or another. And so music's role is often in that case to say something important is happening right now. I'm not going to tell you how to think about it or how to react to it. You can draw your own conclusions, your own emotional conclusions, but just pay attention. Something important is happening right now. Uh, and so that's why I've done a lot of my work is, is very often it's, it's painting in what I call the many shades of neutral, uh, which is just <laughs> trying to find this line, this subtlety where you're, 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 you're communicating something of importance, but you're not pushing them to a predefined emotion. Um, you're letting them figure it out for themselves because it's in that figuring out that a person becomes a participant in, in, in that film, in, in the process of it. And by becoming a participant, they invest themselves more in it and, and ultimately feel it, experience it as something far more engaging and far more satisfying than you know just being an observer you know yes so yeah using music to really you know pull someone in and, yeah, as, a, as a participant yes that they have room to paint their own story into it that's right i find it's like uh in my own compositional style it's it's looking for the mirror-like quality within the mm. music that the, the listener can be met where they are and the yep. music is is very specific. It's very arranged. It's very buttoned up. Um, but it's it's not like uh, you know chewing gum, where you chew it, the sweet goes out of it, and you spit it out, and you don't ever want to chew mm. it again. That's this, right. I think uh, the in the realm of great art, it has that transcendent quality, which again to to your um, your research with how the brain interacts with listening, it's that interplay mm -hmm. that makes it uh, have that je ne sais quoi. That's right. And actually, the term that you just used, which is meet them where they are, is, is something that is actually one of the major tenets of music therapy. Um, so, you know, I've done quite a lot of work in, you know, in the kind of hospital or uh Physical, physical rehabilitation settings and trying to understand how we can use this incredible power of music um, you know for good and the first thing that you learn there um, is meet the patient where they are and they mean that in, on a kind of energetic level so to give you know two, two extreme examples you have someone who is agitated and violent um, and they don't want to take the medicines and they don't want to, you know, settle into uh, a rehabilitation exercise, you know, regime or anything like that. And if you try to play them soft, calming music, mm -hmm. they will react to it even more fiercely. Mm -hmm. It's going to stimulate even more aggression and even more violence because it's not where they are. Yes. And it feels offensive. It feels like you're ignoring the state that they're in and so what you do in music therapy and, and then what i've been able to do in some of the uh what, I, uh what we call sonic journeys 
to to actively move someone from one emotional state to another one you meet them where they are which means that you're going to start off with that you know that you know uh, case of the violent agitated patient you meet them with heavy metal uh-huh. that's where you start and and if you if you calibrate it right you engage them at that point they feel understood they feel heard and then over a period of time you can then change that uh, that emotional state and physiological state that they're in to one that is more conducive you know you can help calm them down you can help quiet them down and and then move them towards um you know uh, peace and relaxation and uh, but it doesn't work unless you meet them where they where they are and by contrast um another very common one um uh, let's say you're working with uh, a recent amputee and who's just completely demotivated but you need them to start doing some physiotherapy to you know um post surgically you know start to move their bodies but also very often to start to work with prosthetics prosthetic limbs and same thing you know if you just play them you know hey let's go let's go motivational music you lose them and it it's offensive to them and it has the opposite effect so you meet them where they are and in this case you play them something that is maybe more languid and sad and then slow and then from there you start to motivate and bring them up um you know one of the things i find also interesting yeah when you're working with patients who are depressed you play them sad music that's where you start you meet them where they are uh, and so this idea of meeting meeting people where they are uh is it enables music then to become this extremely powerful way to engage people on a on a deep energetic level um as as well as on a, a a mental level and a physiological level and then move them move them act, actively move them somewhere else um you know um psychologically physically um you know we can change their heartbeats their heart rates their breathing rates all of this uh, these are things that we can do actually very effectively with music um and so this is a whole new field um that that you're going to start to see and hear more about in the, in the years to come as we as we start to use this incredible toolkit that the music is um and and using the fact that fundamentally as humans we are musical beings whether you have musical training or not we are 100% musical beings all of us and we we can engage with anybody as you say from any culture um in any emotional state we can meet them there and and use this incredible power of music as this you know uh, uh, in its ability to change people uh, and in its ability to bring people together as an equalizer Aho, uh, brother. Yeah, you, um, yeah. you, you made me remember, uh, since we moved to the country, we've been magnets for cats. Uh, evidently, people come from elsewhere to drop their cats off in our town and just let them fit in for themselves. So since we moved here in October, we've taken in three and given two of them a good home and then kept the third. Mm. And I have instruments all over the house, and it's this beautiful tender moment where the cat you know is is in the house 
and they've probably never heard music unless it was blaring from a truck or something, or it was a loud sound that frightened them. And to take a, a charango or a, a guitar and let them first smell it and have it on the floor so it's not dominating their eyes, it's not oh. above their head, and then gently touch a harmonic or brush the strings. So there's a, a way of having a positive first experience of this new power. Mm. It's been so moving. And then speaking as a, you know, music therapy and, you know, empathy and, you know, even exploding that into being a DJ in a club with like thousand people dancing, it's the same thing. It's coming back to meeting people, human or otherwise, where they are through empathy and then riding that wave together, going on that sonic journey together. Yeah, absolutely. Did you know that um, when um, a single person let's say in a club setting, listens to that particular track, that, that beat, that quite quickly their heart rate and their respiration rate starts to synchronize with that, with that beat. It actually becomes matched in time. And then everyone around them in the club, that's happening to them as well. Mm -hmm. And so what you're starting to, what you're starting to see happen is that everybody's Heartbeats, and it sounds really romantic, but it's true. Um, every, everyone's heartbeats are beating in time with each other, you know. And, and this is something, you know, again that we've been able to use to to good effect in in some of the uh, uh, sonic journeys and sound experiences we're putting together in the health sphere. So this phenomenon is known as beat entrainment, and it's very effective. I've actually, you know, we've had you know um, volunteers. Um, wired up to um, biometrics so we can measure their heartbeats and respiration rates and stuff like that and then pump uh, beats at them and change the speed of those beats and actually see their heart rates go up and go down but some people believe um, that in these kinds of settings like a concert or a club when we're all beating together um, in synchrony that that contributes to the sense of loss of loss of oneself that it, it starts to blur the borders of where i end and you begin and so this sensation of becoming a whole as a group of people as becoming one it's not just a romantic notion it's actually happening yes. it's happening physiologically which leads it to then have an effect psychologically and emotionally um and and, and so this is actually real, and I, I just think that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, your my mind is bringing the the image of the flower of life, mm. and the interpenetration of all of these uh, individuals into a greater whole. And yeah. I mean, isn't that our job? Our simple job as musicians is to facilitate that experience. Yeah, I think that is the that's the nirvana, and I think it's you know um, it's very present as a as an aspiration in my mind as a composer, and I would guess that it is in in most songwriters and and composers' minds is 
is can I lift people to this point of transcendence? And if I can, because I know it's possible with music, it's one of the only things it is possible with. How do I do that? You know, what does that translate to harmonically, melodically, in terms of texture and tessitura and all the other many musical attributes that we can play with? Um, how do you get that? How do you how do you write that? You know, and I think that that challenge is is certainly what keeps me going uh, because as you get better at it, you can inch a little tiny bit closer to that ability to speak universally, uh, speak more through this at this kind of archetypal level and and then be able to reach more and more people and ideally everyone and and bring them you know this sensation of of uh, of transcendence of something that is greater than the writer and greater than the listener and greater than all the sum of the parts you know of the musicians that might be performing this music and you know at the same time as it being a goal you know and a, and a constant aspiration this again this actually happens you know anyone that's had the good fortune of, of working with great musicians and and having their music recorded i do a lot of orchestral music so you know it, it quite commonly i'm you know sitting in a in a sound booth and i've got 60 something players out there churning away and each one of them has dedicated their entire life just to learning to play that instrument as as incredibly you know um wonderfully as possible they are each virtuosos in their own right and put it all together 60 something players playing this you know little diddly that you just wrote for something and and it, it's very clear it becomes greater than the sum of the parts it, it starts to take on its own life uh you know uh, and really you start to feel okay this doesn't belong to me uh, anymore and maybe it never did this is it's, it's taken its own life these musicians are pouring their own brilliance and life experience into every single note every tiny little inflection and bow of a violin um, and all of it comes together in, in this this experience of greater than some of the parts and that that I think is you know the the single most incredible and wonderful experience as a, as a composer um, to you know to have that happen um, and I, that's why I always think, you know encourage everyone to learn an instrument um, you know become interested in this explore it because it's it's available to everyone it's you know one of you know one of the few things that you can do that can completely transform your life experience that is completely legal and <laughs> and, and accessible depending to on the country oh I don't, yeah i mean there's not that much music that is illegal in that many countries yeah no no the the, the art of mu music in some countries is uh is banned which is completely yeah. shocking to me when i heard about it and well, it's always an indication of something powerful you know like whenever anything is banned it's because you know it signifies the potential for loss of control by you know by governments or or you know whoever's basically in charge um so that's that's a, that's a strong indicator that there's something good 
something yes. good there to play with. Yeah. yeah, the the fascists come for the teachers and the artists first. That's right. That's right. Because um, we're the we're the ones that they can't control as easily. Yeah, and and our, our not all of us, but many of us are in this to help people not to forget what is sacred within them and between them. That the yeah. experience of you know I. I I have a story. I tell myself that I'm a terrible dancer, and uh, I should. Both. I yeah. just shouldn't, you know. I just shouldn't. So I used to go out to clubs by myself, and and would force myself. I would choose a good DJ, usually usually a female DJ, and uh, I'd force myself to get out on the dance floor by myself and dance until I reached that state of feeling like just another one of the molecules vibrating, yeah. and and. None of the bullshit that was in my intellect, anyone else knew or gave a fuck about, and it wasn't yeah. doing me any good either. Yeah. And that permission to rejoin through abandon and vibration, just yeah. again and again, so powerful. Yeah, so absolutely. I, I wanted to ask you a question about um, the distinction we started this conversation off about you know being animals and survival and awareness and responsiveness to to the environment you know discerning a dangerous sound from a familiar sound uh, and then our ability to improvise so that we could become better survivors and have a more satisfying life with all of that how do you see a distinction between instinct and intuition? Oh, that's a difficult question. I, I don't know <laughs> <Actually>. either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I feel, you know, without getting in, you know, bogged down in the semantics of it, I feel like an instinct is, um, is a reactive, the reaction based on a prior programming or prior knowledge and a programming that can exist at a, at a deep level of DNA mm. uh, an instinct, you know, for example, we both have cats, right? And what's constantly fascinating is even, you know, a tiny cat that really, you know, that it hasn't learned anything from any adult cat. And yet it has this ability to like know what to do and, um, go to the litter box and all of these complex patterns of behavior that nobody taught them. So for me, that's an instinct, you know, that's just, it's somewhere it's written in, in, in DNA code. Um, uh, and that can be tapped into at any, at any point in, in time. And the reason that it's written in the code is because we need that activity for survival purposes to happen as close to spontaneously as possible, right? There isn't time right. for negotiation. You just have to move or you'll die. Yes. And for that to function well, you need, you need it to be kind of pre-programmed so that it doesn't go through, you know, all the various areas of, of the brain that deal with, you know, rationalizations and reasoning and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's that's how I understand instinct. Intuition is something I almost feel like I don't want to even try to explain. Um, 
that I almost don't have the right to. <laughs> but um, it, it's um, I understand intuition to be some kind of um, uh, a deep knowledge of something, uh, a prescience, a an ability to read a situation at a level that is kind of under the hood um you know and so you know some, some people say that there is a you know a uh, a brain in your in your guts and what's we, we talk about intuition being a kind of something in your gut a gut reaction there's definitely like large aggregates of neurons in your in your intestinal area so there is some kind of a brain intelligence there uh, and and maybe there's some wisdom in that language, which I feel it in my gut. Um, but I think what we're saying there is, I'm not feeling it in my um, prefrontal cortex. I'm not feeling it in that again rational part of my brain. But it's also I'm not feeling it in my DNA code. Um, it's not a pre-programmed thing. It's just a way of reading the world around us and events around us in a non-cerebral way, if you like. We're reading it through feeling. Um, and, and so in that sense, maybe intuition has an interplay with emotion um, and that our emotions, you know, if we look at them in a deeper way, it's not just about I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm scared, I'm, you know, that kind of thing but that the emotions themselves also have a purpose um, in their subtleties as ways of reading the world around us between the lines. So that's kind of where I will put, I put to, you know, to myself and my own thinking, I'll put intuition is, is reaching out into the world using um, your emotional senses. Um, to determine things that are not evident uh, to the conscious brain. And, and maybe that's one of the reasons we have them. Yeah, the, the, the lack of regret over time uh, mm. of listening to the instincts and to the intuition versus mm. the coin toss realm of my intellect yeah. You know, there's there's just a precedent there of success of going in the right being in the right place at the right time because of listening to something that wasn't logical. Mm. And at the same time logic does have its place. It can just make us quite myopic or a slave to our own models. Yeah. So I think that's where you know being a a guide on these and a curious one at that uh, of these different subjects to help people get in touch with all of the different intelligences that they possess and mm. that are outside of them that they can be in touch with and, f and feel a part of. I think yeah. that's the real healing magic uh, uh, of being a, a, a guide and, and a musician. Yeah, I, I think, you know, bringing it back around to music um you know as i think you, you saw from from my article is one of the first things i said about doing is asking every composer every songwriter i know how do you write music 
and the number one answer I got was, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens. You know, so, yeah, I think it's it, what you're saying is very true, that, that music is a very important and interesting functional way of exploring our non-intellectual selves. Um, because we don't really know how it happens. You know, um, as I like to say, you know, you can set the table, you know, through techniques and practice and all of that of your instruments. You can set the table and then maybe the muse will, will come and sit and have dinner with you. But it's not a guarantee, you know. And so as, as composers, I think, uh, and songwriters, I think that's why we wrestle with it a lot is, you know, um, how do I get into that state uh, where the the um, creativity flows, and 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 I think it leads a lot of people astray. I think you know that's why, you know, so many people in the creative arts, you know, end up um, ha- having all kinds of problems with, you know, with drugs and alcohol, um, is because, you know, they they're using any means they can to try to get to this elusive, elusive non-intellectual state you know numb that intellect that's yapping away the monkey brain and so that we can start to let the music come through from the non-intellectual part of ourselves you know but but there's there's you know this is really what you learn um over time uh, as a as a composer is how to how to find that how to promote the 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 likelihood that it will happen you know, and and um, one of the things that I was taught um, that has really helped me a lot, and that I pass it on to every creative I know—not just musicians, but any any person doing anything creative—and which is basically everybody, because the whole act of living is a is a creative You're task, constantly improvising. <laughs> so um, I asked him this question, you know. Um, what's the difference between an amateur and a professional? And the answer I give them is the amateur waits for inspiration. You know, you wait for the stars to be aligned. You wait until you get up one morning feeling a bit inspired and, and the sun is shining and everything seems just right. It's just right to sit down and start, you know, writing some music. That's not really the way it works. That's the amateur. The professional knows that they find inspiration within their work so it's not an outside force it's an inside thing and so all you need to do is start and once you start start with the whatever you're comfortable with you know start with uh, don't let yourself get paralyzed by trying to think up an awesome hook or melody or, or you know some chord sequence that's going to be absolutely killer start with some details start with a rhythm start with a bass line whatever can get you in the door and then the inspiration comes by virtue of what you are actively doing what the process of it you start to hear things that you'll say to yourself you know what 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 would be cool now is if i added this and i add a bit of that and i add a bit of this and what if i added an extra harmony here and all of a sudden you just crept in the back door and you've got a, a, a a song or a you know symphony that you've just you know that you've just allowed to come through you and and, and so i tell this i think that's a much better way of kind of 
um, catalyzing that process, not to wait for inspiration. The inspiration comes from the work itself. And so you don't need to wait, you just start and have a little faith in yourself and it'll be okay. I love all of that. The the permission to have, as you said in the in your in your writing, constructive restlessness. Mm-hmm. You know that the intellect right. would maybe neg- negatively label that. You know, oh, I have attention deficit disorder. However, from the creative, intuitive, instinctive side, this is a necessary uh, way of moving the gears to find that spark that we're going to follow to unearth this this idea and 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 documented that's right i mean it's it, i can't tell you how many times you know when i've sat at the piano and i'm sure you've had that experience on the guitars when you know a finger it gets out of place you're trying to play a chord and it's like oh that wasn't supposed to happen you know i'm playing a wrong note but am i is it wrong <laughs> actually that kind of sounds interesting yes. i'm gonna go over there i'm gonna follow that so this kind of it's like yeah i call it attention brevity um, it, it is an advantage for creative pursuits. You know, we don't write great pieces of music by being absolutely stubborn with an idea and say, no, it has to be like this. You have to be willing to explore the periphery, you know, because I think, I think it's really at the, the edges of your conscious attention where you're dealing much more in those intuitive terms and instinctive terms and, and where you can be your most creative um, because of, you're outside, just outside the tyranny of the conscious mind. And, you know, not to denigrate the conscious mind, it has a place, it's there to do our taxes and a couple of other things, not much, but <laughs> we shouldn't let that, you know, that seat of the ego get out of control because all of these interesting things that we do with our lives creatively, um, it has almost no role. So it's at the periphery of our attention that music happens, that creativity happens, that art happens. And so by all means, you know, champion your attention deficits and go with them and see where they lead you. Go on the tangents and, and they will take you to rich and fulfilling places. Joel, this is so inspiring. Uh, we are out of time, and boy, it went by like lightning. It's such right. a pleasure to connect with you. Likewise. Joel, tell me about what you've got coming up next musically. Well, uh, I've, got, I've got some you know, fun projects. Uh, I've got a feature film coming up, which I'm very excited about. Uh, they've just started shooting, and this is a kind of dark comedy, um, which... Uh, you know, for me, as a very much like an uh, action and dark kind of composer writer, uh, is is always a big challenge. You know, um, being funny with music is not an easy thing. It's actually always regarded by composers as the hardest thing to write um, and do it in a way that is original. Um, so I've got I've got that movie coming up, and I've got some uh, really interesting projects um, working. Um, with yeah, a whole variety of things in the immersive audio uh, field, 
and going to be bringing those to big, large-scale exhibitions worldwide. Um, and so really digging into some of the stuff that we've, we've been talking about of using the power of sound in, in multiple ways to, to move people's emotional states. Um, and, you know, then I have uh, uh, some interesting writing projects of my own um, that, uh, that I'm finally going to attend to. So uh, never a dull moment. I always keep busy. Um, I also have a, a new budding career as a, as a visual artist. Um, I've been doing a lot of sculpture. Uh, and, um, you know, for me, that uh, was kind of a missing link in terms of getting handsy with things and actually starting to build stuff. Um, so I've got very involved in that. And, and um, so I've got a couple of shows coming up. And it's super scary, but, you know, I, I always like to, as far as possible, exist, you know, at this uh, just outside of my comfort zone. Um, and no doubt there'll be uh, some other fun projects that will come my way. Amazing. And uh, respect for, for walking the talk. Thank you. I sense that about you the first time we met. So. Thank you. Again, thank you, Joel, uh, for your time and have a, an awesome day. You too. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this and uh, good luck with uh, you know, the continuing podcast. I think you know, you're doing something great. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Michael. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.